Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Leadership Lean In, the podcast. I just want to say thank you to everyone that has subscribed, shared about the podcast, all the feedback, the comments. Uh, we cannot thank you enough. Thank you for sharing uh, what you're learning. We are all together leaning in to the subject of leadership because we believe whatever we lean into, it leans back into us, and uh, we're all trying to get a little bit better. A couple things right up top. We have now Leadership Lean In, the, po the podcast is turning to Leadership Lean In, the conference. The conference is happening this Saturday, coming up. I think by the time this podcast airs, it will be just four days away from the conference. We're ecstatic. It's our first ever. We have turned a podcast into a conference. John Maxwell, John Gordon, Devon Franklin, Carl Lentz, Taylor Madu, Mark Pettis, Jeremy Foster, so many incredible speakers, and it's a live event, live next Saturday, right here from the Ministry Center, and we'll go live at 9, 12, and 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and then you'll have access to the content for one year. So I want to encourage you, register your team, register yourself. Let's get all there together. And uh, it's going to be fantastic. Make sure all of our listeners, by the way, get a 25% off code. Let me give the code to you right now. If you are a Leadership Lean In listener, you are going to receive 25%. Use the code. It is, um, let me give you the code right now. It is... You know, I'm 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 not even I'm not even ready with the code. Twenty five lean in. Type in the number twenty five, all caps lean in, and you'll get twenty five percent off. And so we want to provide that for our listeners. Okay, we are recording this on a Saturday. I'm actually on staycation right now. Cleaned out my garage yesterday. That's how staycation we are. We're recording this podcast on a Saturday because. We have the great Albert Tate joining us. Now, this podcast we recorded last week, and in the middle of the Zoom recording, my laptop ran out of space. But, good news to you, we got 18 minutes of the conversation. He is sensational. By the way, he's preaching tomorrow at our church. Uh, by the time this airs, you can go back and listen to his message from Sunday. I'm sure it's fantastic. He is an unbelievable preacher. Uh, speaks at leadership conferences like the Leadership Summit uh, that Bill Hybels led for so many years. Now Craig Rochelle uh, leads. And I heard about Albert Tate for so many years before I got to meet him. And um, they didn't tell me the half of how great this man is. And so we are going to go right now into a recorded conversation with Albert Tate. And then I'm coming back to you after these 18 minutes. And we're going to go top five for this episode. Check this out. The great Albert Tate, the great pastor and communicator. Pastor Albert Tate joins us right now. Leadership Lean In. Check it out. My man, the one and only, the pastor of the greatest church in Los Angeles, coming from the east side. A lot of people don't know about Monrovia. I know about Monrovia, okay? That's right. What's up? Let's east go, side baby. represent the one and only pastor Albert Tate is in the building. Yo, I'm calling my mama and tell her. I have arrived. I'm adding <laughs> this to my resume. I'm on with Chad Beach. Lean in, baby. I'm adding this to my resume today. I'm calling my mama and say, Mama, you ain't going to believe what happened to me today. I have arrived. 
What up, bro? How you feeling today? Dude, I'm good, man. I'm good. So good to be on here with you, bro. I appreciate your ministry, your voice. Just one of the, I mean, one of the leading voices in LA and in the country, bro. So anytime I get to spend with you is a blessing. Well, I think we have a mutual love and respect for each other because we were connected by one of the greatest humans on the planet, the one and only John DeCure. Yes, yes. If John yes. vouches for you, it's like you just know, like, Ready. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm in. John is the godfather. He's a, he yes, really he's, is, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really he is. Yeah. And I've been, I've been rolling with John DeCure since 1999. Wow. John and I used to do a Bible study together every Tuesday morning at the Arcadia Starbucks right off the 210 where the Claim Jumpers is. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right? Yeah. And um, he, he, he just sings your praises. He told, told me about you forever. And then to get to meet you and now get to know you even better is just all respect, all admiration, and all I need to learn from this guy. And that is why we are having you on Leadership Lean In, the podcast. Let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, I want to talk about a couple different things. Uh, you and I, first thing I want to talk about, you and I were on an Instagram Live uh, maybe a week or two ago, and um, we kind of like brushed over this subject, and you started just dropping thoughts and bars, and I said, hold on, stop. We have to do a whole podcast around this because what you were saying, we just didn't, it, it was not sufficient to be on Instagram Live and speaking so eloquently, okay? Instagram Live, you never know who's dropping in from Dubai or, you know, somebody from Czechoslovakia. It's like, no, 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 we got to be on the lean in to talk about these things. So I brought up the subject um, about racial reconciliation in the church and you had some very riveting thoughts around that. If we can go back and channel the energy you had on that Instagram live, what, what, what were you, um, what were you saying and, and what are your thoughts? Well, well, first of all, we were pushing your book, which if you haven't got help, I work with people, you need to go get that. Cause that, that's a really big deal. And you Thanks. asked me about something that I was doing as a preaching masterclass. So I do this It'll be a virtual conference this year in February. It's a preaching masterclass. And man, as I'm looking at the landscape of our culture and our country, the racial unrest, the and, and the role that the gospel and the church plays in that, I said, yo, we got to train preachers, leaders, and communicators about the power of racial reconciliation as spiritual formation. So we've got to, the conversation now feels like we're reacting to culture instead of responding to the gospel. And we've got to train and equip pastors and preachers to say that this is a discipleship issue. Racism has been discipled in to us for generations. And in order for that to come out, we got to disciple that out. So for too long, our response to racism has been a sermon when something goes really bad. And even when that sermon, you call your black friend to come help you because you're not even confident to talk about race without having a safe goat uh, uh, black friend to catch you from saying something crazy. Here's the thing, Chad, listen, we got preachers that are out here that sound like PhDs in Christology, soteriology, sanctification, all this stuff. We sound like PhDs. We talk about race. We sound like third graders. 
It's in, in, and it's a big deal. The two commandments, the two biggest is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And then the second one is like, like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. You mean to tell me you've been discipled in the gospel of Jesus Christ your whole life and you never worked out racism? You never dealt with the conversation of racism? How can you really love your neighbor effectively? Oh, you ain't having no problems loving your neighbor because they all look like you, live like you, vote like you. Oh, that's what we got to do. And it is the responsibility of the church to be leading in these conversations. So we want to create an environment, bro, where we are equipping leaders, pastors, and teachers on how to identify racism, how to call it out, and let's name it. And then how do we disciple it out so that we can all be free? I love this thought. I haven't heard anybody say disciple it out before. That's a fantastic thought. And the reality is, is what you're hitting on, most leadership and most people think, I got to get this in me. I got to get this book in me. I got to get this thought, this podcast, this preacher, this in, in, in. Do you realize how much bad things I have had to get out of my life? Talk to me, unpack that thought a little bit more, disciple out, and in particular on this subject, what needs to get discipled out? So, bro, I'm from Mississippi, grew up in the South. I, um, everything around me that I desired was marked with whiteness. Um, Think about a little girl who wanted a baby doll. What was normative then? It's changed a little bit now, but in my generation, baby dolls were white. And they had hair that looked a certain way and eyes that looked a certain way. And that's what you aspire. Uh, You want to be the president of the United States. They're all white. Chad, you, you mess up your, your scratch your arm and got to get a Band-Aid. It's skin tone, but guess the skin tone of the Band-Aid? It's automatically white. So you know what uh, most of the rich people, the wealthy people, the doctors, uh, the lawyers that I saw in my society were predominantly white. And when I saw black ones, it was like a, whoa, that guy's black. He's a leader. So what it showed to me is that if it's wealthy, if it's successful, if it's a standard, it's white. And then I go to church and I open up my Sunday school lesson. And guess what color Jesus is? He, he's not Middle Eastern. No, 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 no. Homeboy's white. He got hair. He got the blue eyes. He got... so He's, even, sur- he's he, surfer white. He ain't just white. He's you know surfer white. He's surf- he hippie, you know, low key. <laughs> he don't smoke weed, but his friends do white. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he looked like that. So I go to church and even that's white. Um... Yo, that's being discipled into me. And then my church is all black. No white folks. No, 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 no. My, my whole neighborhood is black. We ain't no white people in my neighborhood. My white friends at school ain't no black people in that neighborhood. It's just right. Or if there were black people in there, it was an exception. It was a huge, it was a big exception. That discipled into me a way of what's standard, what's normal, what's what's Jesus chosen preference. Um, All that stuff was discipled into me, not intentionally. I'm not saying racist folks, but then even in Sunday school, you know, you know who told me not to trust white people first was my black Sunday school teacher. Well, she grew up in the sixties and she would see me in my local high school being one of the few black folks in the, in the, in in the school and seeing me lying. And she was warning me. She was putting me up on game. If you will, she was saying, Hey, out, be careful, boy. Don't be cozying up with these white folks thinking that they won't sabotage you or mess you up. You let a white girl's father 
see you talking to dating her. She was she was putting me up on it. But but in many ways, she was warning me and justified for because of her experience. But I learned that in church, that was discipled into me. Now, I'm gracious, and I just gave my black side. Imagine the things that's been discipled into white people that reaffirm and reinforce their supremacy in, social, in, in society and in culture. Not intentionally, not overt. No. Most people, most of the time, it's not intentional, it's not overt. And it's not even meant to be racist. It's just the water that we swim in, bro. And that stuff has been put into us. Bro, I went to seminary. I took a homiletics class on preaching. Guess how many black preachers were referenced in my Bible college? None. Guess how many black theologians? None. As a matter of fact, if I wanted to study black theologians, there was another class. I had systematic theology, and then you got black theology, which is a whole nother class. You know what that says to me? That disciples into me that systematic theology is normal theology, which is white theology. And secondary theology, not primary theology, is this extracurricular class, Black theology. That sends me a message and tells me how we think about Black theology. My yeah. homiletics class, not one Black preacher. I grew up, bro, bro, come on. You know some of the best preaching in the country, in the world, world, in the history of the church, are Black preachers. They, if anybody should be, how you going to go through a whole preaching class and never study a Black preacher, Barner Taylor? Like, like what? Come on. It, it, it was a decide. What we've been handed is half cooked and underbaked. And we've got to get a better, greater vision, a, a fuller vision of theology. And that's what we want to talk about at the Preacher Masterclass. And I think Beautiful. that's the conversation that we need to be having as a church in the country today. My, my question is, you know, it's so funny um, it, when <laughs> you already referred to it, but when everything hit in June, on the heels of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, every white guy in my, I'm, I'm raising my hand here, so I'm not making fun of anybody, grabbed their black friend. And wow. this, is, this, is the, this is the slogan of the church, a much needed conversation. Hold on. Can we label it correctly? Because the <laughs> optics are already bad. Let's just at least have a good label. Yeah. The label should have been a much overdue conversation on race and because the the conversation should have been happening 15 20 years ago for most churches and most leaders but it's not until we have to have the conversation what what how did that make you feel to see so many white people or white leaders rush to this convo that's too late and what, what, what was some trepidation or some fear that you would have in seeing so many people respond in that manner? Now, mind you, I'm keeping it in context. Everybody, I think, is in good intentions. But what were some fears that came to mind? Well, my thing is, I, I ain't mad at it. I've been working in a multi-ethnic space for almost 20 years. My, my white siblings, Christian siblings, uh, everybody's trying to do the best that they can. I'm sure. just trying to say, yo... Bro, if it ain't, if we don't see it as wrong, there's no incentive and nothing pushing us to make it right. I think we need a conviction. And I think my white siblings uh, who are leaders and pastors of churches, they need a conviction that is fundamentally wrong and they've got to see it as a problem. And once, and, and they got to see it as a gospel centered problem. They, it's a gospel problem. They got to see it as a discipleship problem. Then I That's think it. we'll really get after it and we'll know we've made impact when people, bro, everybody was rushing to make statements 
in in sounding like PhDs concerning Christology on Sunday, but sounding like third graders when it comes to talking about race. That's why a lot of them made statements and then had to come back and apologize for the statements that they made because they didn't know because they're so underdeveloped in the conversation. So what I would love to see come out of this is a real commitment to the conversation and let it be a biblical gospel-centered conversation, a real commitment to being mentored by other minority leaders, a real commitment in inviting them. Bro, don't stop inviting these black folks to come and attend your church, these Asian church, these Asian folks or these Latino church to come and sit in the congregation and you're inviting them to a white cultured experience. Like you're not diverse just because you got people of color on the stage. You can, you made one hire, you got that bad black girl that can lead worship and tear everything up. And now you, now you slam dunking a multi-ethnic victory. No, you have not. We've got to be multicultural and create space in their cultural experience in their church. And I would love to see leaders begin to make a deeper, greater commitments to true diversity. We'll know we're winning, uh, ringing the bell when we're not doing a sermon series based off of a reaction to the, to, the, to the culture, but as a response to the gospel. It's a part of our regular diet, calling people to racial reconciliation and oneness and repentance and calling out the systems of injustice that have been perpetuated because of our silence and our inability to have the deep conversations about race. Mm. What do you think, I love what you're saying here, what do you think um, the role of a great communicator, let's say the office of a, of, a, of, a, of a preacher, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that maybe aren't preachers, that maybe they're youth workers, maybe they're uh, entrepreneurs, maybe they're coaches. What do you think the, the responsibility is as leaders right now? To, I keep using the words, uh, we are advocates of change and hope. You know, hope and change, they're interchangeable, that we need hope, because I feel like we can't just approach this with such negativity, toxicity, you know, cancerous mindsets. We got to bring hope. So it starts with the positive, the power of positivity, believe we can do it. And what is that change? We need hope and we need change. As leaders, how do we bring, what comes to mind when you say, you know what, to bring hope and change, we're going to need to do this as leaders. Yeah, I think to bring hope and change, bro, we're going to need conviction that this is a problem. It's amazing to me how we are spoke to minimize or to just just the fact that we're talking about it, bro. People think, why are y'all talking about it? Because it's so it's so they think the conversation is divisive. They I... think that we're dividing people just by having a conversation. That lets me know you don't have a conviction that it's an actual real problem. In order to bring true hope and change, we got to have a conviction and see the injustice, see the danger of whiteness. Now, when I say whiteness, I'm not meaning white people. I mean a culture that whiteness is then now normalized as the standard. Sure. So if it's not, it's so that it's the, it's the, it's the white emoji thumb that just came in stock on, on the iPhone and took years to get emojis of color. Like that kind of deal. I've been doing using white thumbs for years now. Finally, a brother got a black thumb in the last few years. But there's a whole, like if that's real with the iPhone, if that's real with Band-Aids, is that not real with church? Wow. Like, 
we we've not seen color. So recognize that there is a systemic problem and let's get a conviction for the kingdom vision that God has for us. And out of a biblical conviction for racial reconciliation, then we can begin to really see hope and change because it's not an extracurricular thing that I'm doing, but it's a core curricular conviction that I have concerning the body of Christ. That's it. That's it. It's got to be core. I love that. And I feel, um, I feel convicted, you know, the greatest way that I can liken my experience in, in the last three, four months too, is, is marriage. It's like, I, I just read my wife, you know, is she happy? Is she unhappy? Is she well? Is she unwell? Is she, you know, feeling like overwhelmed by the kid? The greatest way to serve humanity and the greatest way to serve a city is to read the needs. Wasn't that fantastic? I told you, the great Albert Tate, pastor of Fellowship Church in Monrovia, California. If you want to learn more uh, from him, check out his podcast, check out his church. Unbelievable communicator and leader. We got to get him at the next Leadership Leaning Conference. We're going to start doing these. At the next Leadership Leaning Conference, mark my words, we need the great Pastor Albert Tate at the next one. Okay, we're going to this month's top five, and I'm actually taking away a number. I'm going top four. These are the top four ways to kill your dreams. You're like, well, this is a leadership podcast. Why are we talking about killing our dreams? I thought we were going to build our dreams. Yet, you need to realize that there is a dream in your heart. There is vision that God has for your life, but there are decisions you can make. There are things that you can do that will either, number one, delay your destiny or number two, kill your dream. And so as great as that dream is, in fact, the Bible teaches us we have to live worthy of our calling. So in other words, at the size of your dream should be the size of your lifestyle. So if you got a great dream, you got to make sure you stay away from these things. And we give you four things that if you're not careful, they will absolutely kill your dreams. We call these dream killers. Number one, write down pride. Pride, as they say, sucks. I had a friend in college. He had a big poster in his dorm room. It said pride sucks. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone else sick besides the person that has it. We got to be careful because we live in a prideful culture. Remember, remember, Bob talks about pride of life, pride of the world, lust of the eyes. We got to be careful with pride because pride never apologizes. Pride never says I'm sorry. Pride never says I love you. It's a prideful, haughty spirit. And the Bible literally teaches us: before destruction comes, pride comes. Before you fall, you get pride. Pride is that thing that is the gateway drug into failure. And so you got to be careful not to walk in pride. God does not work with proud people. He loves humble people, humility, genuine, authentic, less of me, more of others, serving, loving, giving, helping. And you can't do that if you're prideful. So make sure you stay away from a proudful spirit. And that's why you need real relationships because real relationships help kind of call you out when it's like, ah, you kind of being narcissistic right now. You're kind of being all about yourself and you got to be careful from that lure, which is in, in all of us. It's innate in all of us is, is a spirit of pride. Number two, stewardship or let's just call it lack thereof, when you don't steward well what you currently have. Remember, Jesus said it this way. If you are faithful with little things and you prove yourself faithful, he can make you faithful with many things. 
But until you're faithful with little things, you haven't proven yourself to be faithful with many things. So you got this big dream, you got something big in your heart for your company, your family, your organization, your name. It's great. Be faithful with what you have right now. Every day matters. Every dollar matters. Be a good steward of your time, your temple, your treasure, everything, your talents. Life is about stewardship. And when you prove yourself a good steward, the one that is a bad steward in the, in the parable of the talents, Jesus said, take away the, the, the irresponsible one, what he has, and give it to the one that's proven themselves responsible. And so stewardship is such a big deal to God. He is watching. I pray over your life that you become a steward over more than what you ever dreamt or imagined. I remember starting out, both times I started out in ministry, I started with a whopping 11 people in our living room for a Zoe church. I started with 11 kids in East LA, my first pastor job, and I started with 17 kids in the Seattle area. I've always started small, but you know what? You treat the, the small like it's big. The big time is where you're at. So don't dream about stewarding what other people have. Be glad about what you're stewarding now and that will release your life into your God-given potential. Here's the third one, bitterness. I haven't met anybody that's like, you know, best thing I ever did was become offended. Greatest decision I ever made for my marriage and my family was I got really, really bitter and hard-hearted and offended. But when you stay soft, and pliable and forgive. Forgiveness is that thing that you got to learn how to get rid of that unharbored bitterness. Get it out. In fact, we, we, we got hoodies here that say it's right behind me. Don't break your stride. In other words, get that bitterness and that offense. Offenses are going to come. You're going to have tons of opportunity for offense. Refuse the bait. Years ago, this guy, John Bevere, released a book. I think it sold millions and millions of copies. The Bait of Satan. This is the greatest bait and tactic to become offended. And if you want to kill your dream, just take the pill of unforgiveness. Just swallow in all of that offense. But if you're really going to step into what you have for your life, you've got to release the one that has offended you, abused, hurt. It's not about them. It's all about you. That's why Jesus, when he tossed to pray, he said, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have hurt us. So if you're going to walk into your dream, you got to do it with a clean heart, not all contaminated and cluttered and filled with all kinds of criticism. No, stay soft. It's like that old saying in leadership, you got to have tough skin and a soft heart. How do you do that? It's a tension. It's a dynamic, but it's a decision. And so for you to step into your dream, get rid of the bitterness. And the last one, number four, is unteachable. In other words, when you become unteachable, you're just saying like, I know it all. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need mentors. I don't need books. I don't need podcasts. I don't need... The reason why you need to go to Leadership Lean In Conference this Saturday is because we need to lean in and learn. What are we about to learn this Saturday? From John Maxwell, John Gordon, Luke Lazon. I mean, so Jen is going to organize our lives. Shane Quick, the master of Premier Productions. We've got some of the best leaders in the world. And when we lean in with a teachable spirit, we're going to grow. Now, wisdom is the application of knowledge. So I cannot apply what I do not know. So I've got to learn so I can grow. 
And when you're unteachable, you're like, I don't want to listen to advice. I don't want to get counseling. I don't want to listen to so-and-so. But when you understand, I've got a big dream and a big thing in my heart, and I want to sit around the best, and I want to glean, and I want to listen, and I want to understand. I want to be like Mary, sitting Indian style at the feet of Jesus. Teach me, tell me what I love about Jesus. He's 12, he's in the temple, and he's the son of God. He is the Messiah, and he's asking questions. So, If God can ask questions, you can ask questions. If God can take a time to learn, you can take a time to learn. Maintain a teachable spirit because leaders are learners. Leaders aren't just readers. Leaders are learners. Make the commitment right now to be a lifelong learner. This episode's top five. Come on, this episode's top four. Hope you loved it. Again, thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for sharing it, subscribing. Hit subscribe on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple, and we will see you. Hopefully, you're listening to this before Saturday, September 19th, because we're having Leadership Lean in the conference. Register and get your 25% off. Hit the numbers 25 and all caps lean in. Get 25% off your ticket to the Leadership Lean in Conference. We've got some of the best communicators in the whole world. We will see you live from the Ministry Center on Saturday the 19th, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 6 p.m. Pacific Center time. We will see you there. We love you. Have a great, great week, and we'll see you in the next episode.